Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. The largest churches in America have basic motivational preachers. They may wave the Bible, but they never open it and say what's in it. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello, I'm Charmaine Noble-McLean and you're listening to The Profile, brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. The monthly title, which is superb by the way, features interviews just like this one and you can subscribe for just £3.95 per month by heading to the website premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. Well, in today's edition, I talk to Dr. Michael Youssef. He's a regular preacher on Premier Christian Radio. You can hear him every weekday morning in his popular programme, Leading the Way. But it's been a while since we've had a chat with this 73-year-old who heads up a congregation of over 3,000, and he refuses to retire until Jesus tells him to. The ministry's grown to reach millions across the world, in particular in America, where his church is based, Australia and the Middle East, where he and his team at Leading the Way believe God's vision for the ministry is to see a further one million people become believers in Jesus by 2025. We'll hear more about that a bit later on and his understanding on issues such as universalism, end times and teaching the word of God versus motivational preaching. But we begin our conversation with me asking Dr. Michael Youssef about his thoughts concerning truth and whether the church has lost its biblical understanding of the word. We're living in an age where the truth is, got, is getting all muddied and confused and uh, circled, uh, uh, not even counting the sects like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and so forth. There are many churches in the United States, I don't know about here, uh, whether it be mainline denominations like Lutherans, Methodists, and Presbyterians, and Episcopal, who now teach Chrislam, where they say Christianity and Islam is the same. And they have as many sayings of Muhammad in the, pew, in the pews as they have of, say, of Jesus. And that's just very common now in many parts in the Midwest, Canada, elsewhere in the mainline. So the confusion has entered into the Protestant churches. Yeah. And some evangelical churches now have, um, if you're looking at the surveys that George Bonner does, George is a very uh, man of integrity and his operation is a trustworthy operation. I've known George for a long time. Uh, George Bonner has been telling us that upward of 60 to 65% of the millennial evangelicals, these are so-called born again, mm. who believe there are many ways to God wow. and that Jesus is not the only way. So think about where that came from. It came from pulpits where they been taught uh, that through the years and started 25 years ago. Mm. And now it's getting worse. Now it's happening in very big mega church evangelical churches in America where you know, we just can't judge, you know, and 
we have a probably a pastor of the largest church in America who's being interviewed on CNN. And they said, is Jesus the only way? He kept saying, well, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Who knows? You know, I met some wonderful Indians and Chinese. And, and so that universalism, which is the biggest, in my judgment, is going to be the end of end time major heresy, the end time major apostasy. You know, when Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And the scripture talks about the great apostate, great departure from the faith just prior to the return of Christ. I think universalism is that one thing that is misleading people of thinking, if you're good, you didn't have to believe in Jesus, you'll be okay, God will let you in. And I often wonder if they don't want anything to do with Jesus here, how are they going to come to his heaven? <laughs> and they'll be miserable. But that's just logic. These people do not think logically. If you're a good person, you're fine. And if you're satisfied, you're okay. God will have no option but to accept you. Yeah. And so that is, to me, the uh, defining moment for the Church of Jesus Christ globally. And whether it be the UK or the United States, Canada or Europe, uh, because it's now invading even, uh, and Jesus said, even if it's possible, he will mislead the elect in those last days. He does say that, doesn't he? Absolutely, he said that. He I said, wonder, even possible. I wonder, I mean, this is an alarming um, declaration, sure. an alarming yeah. um, flashlight. You've, you've, you've shone on what's happening yes. in America, and, and this is, you know, as you said, starting to creep across the globe. Yeah. Um, I wonder whether or not there is also this narrative of independence so long as I'm not harming you, yes. my thoughts, my ways are fine. Yeah. Is that part of your thinking? Well, this, yes, because that has become a, 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 the cry of many back in the 80s, actually 70s. Uh, any relationship was fine as long as no one is hurt. But that really not uh, biblical at all because it's not just someone's hurt. Someone will be hurt. Uh, even if the person doesn't admit hurt. But the problem is, uh, my truth, your truth, has replaced the absolute truth. And once you deny there is an absolute truth, there's objective truth that's not open to interpretation, not open for discussion. There's no gray areas. Yeah, exactly. Everybody has their own truth. Mm. And then they start Basically, when my truth start encroaching on your truth and, and vice versa, we see riots in the streets of the United States because one's truth is, is conflicting with the other person's truth. And so we, we have riots, people fighting each other, people are using a race uh, and, uh, as a division because they want to create that division. Uh, you know, Marcus and Engel, Karl Marx, basically said you create the division based on economics, the rich and the poor. So the Marxists in America and in the United Kingdom, I must add, because I followed the news here, uh, realized that they couldn't do that because upwardly mobile people can be poor, but then they can really uh, uh, succeed if they work hard. So they said, that's not going to work. So the only division we can create is between the races. So they're creating a war between the races. But it's backfiring, thank God, in America. 
because now we have blacks and whites are coming together and said, hey, we're not going to buy into that division. That is artificial division because we love each other, especially the believers. Believers first. We love each other. And um, we have a very well-known lady in Atlanta. She's uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's niece and another activist, politically activist, uh, blonde lady in our church. And the two of them wrote a book together. It's a fantastic book. I actually wrote a forward to it. And uh, they said, we're not colorblind. That's the title of the book. And they talk openly, honestly, how they love each other. And this is more common than you realize. Mm -hmm. But they're trying to create a superficial division, which we, uh, you know, thank God, the, the alert Christian says, no, we reject that. That's not true of the believers. Where do we begin when it comes to understanding, or at least um, trying to put back truth in its rightful position? Not that it's ever moved away. Sure. Perhaps we're the ones who have moved, moved away, away from, from, it. The, yep. from the dial. Yeah. But... Um, I know that through research, Barner included, yeah. that Bible literacy is has been cited as one of the problems. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I go to you know I go to a variety of churches because I like to see sure. what is being said in different yeah. churches. I'm sure. not a nomad though. I've yeah. got my own base. Yes. But I notice that compared to when I was growing up yes. in churches, yes. most people don't carry their Bibles to church anymore. No, they don't. Um, no one's taking any notes. Yep. Um, they're just sitting there listening to a mini sermon, as right. I call them, yes. um, which normally in, in quite a few churches yeah. is really a, a motivational talk. It's a motivational talk. So what, where, how do we put things right, Doctor? Sure. And I know that this Absolutely. is a big question for yeah. you, but you're no. doing this. You're teaching truth yeah. from and, the pulpit. And when you see the largest churches in America, this has happened in reality. Not, this is not a theory. The largest churches in America have basic motivational preachers. No, they may wave the Bible, but they never open it and say what's in it. So when this happened, young pastor says, hey, if he can do this, then I can do that. So young pastors are coming out, stop preaching expository preaching. They're no longer preaching the Word of God, and they want to use motivational preaching. And they think if they do that, they'll have a big church. So we're afraid of offending other people, which right. is this universalism that you talked about. Yep. And our preachers, those who are supposed to be leading yes. and guiding us yep. in the truth, are They're afraid, misleading. <laughs> are misleading. Yes. What's your message to that person in the pew? If we can't get the truth from sure. the person at the front, yep. what would you say to the person who sat in the pew yes. wondering? It's vitally important. If you are a person sitting in the pew, and you have any authority whatsoever, then hold the pastor accountable. I tell people every Sunday, literally, I said, you open the scripture, and if I'm saying anything that is not in the scripture, you need to come and either talk to me or you talk to some of the elders, mm. because it's very important. If you have any authority whatsoever, uh, but if you don't have any authority and you can't do anything about it, you'd better put on your running shoes and run. <laughs> <laughs> run out of that church. Because your soul is what matters in the end. Mm. Your eternity, your, your, your accountability to Christ, that's really the most important thing. So you know, don't get hung up on, you know, being in this church. I was talking to a, um, a, a lieutenant governor of our state many, many years ago. And he would say to me, I would have left my church a uh, long time ago because they don't preach the word of God anymore but because my grandmother was buried there in that right. church, I, you know, I said, look, if your grandmother 
found out what's going on now and the preaching that's going on, she would get up and run. <laughs> I said, you need to run because yes. in the end, you cannot be tied to a tradition or denomination or a church basic based on history. Mm, loyalties. Just so yeah. loyalty because of the family or whatever sure. it is. In the end, your soul is, is what matters. Mm. And Jesus said, what profits a man or a woman to gain the whole world loses their own soul. soul yes. So and don't be like the frog in the water and, and the heat is heating up, heating up, and in the end, by the time mm. you wake up and realize what's happening is dead. But what would you say to the person who might be listening who perhaps doesn't know what solid biblical teaching looks like? I mean, they're listening yeah. to us now. Sure. So God willing, they'll have a flavor of that. Yeah. They'll get a sense of right. it. But in their own church, they may not actually realize, well, perhaps they would. But, you know, maybe a younger person yeah. who is, you know, gone along to a church because their friend has right. invited them. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yet there is not something quite right there. How do we, well, ask, what, how do we identify what truth sure, looks like? Sure, ask the hard questions. Ask the pastor. Do you believe that the baby in the manger was God of very God? Mm. And do you believe when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that means no other ways to the Father except through Jesus. And when the Bible says, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they are saved. Do you believe that 100%? Do you believe that he actually rose from the dead on the third day, physically, bodily, rose from the dead? Do you believe that he's coming back to judge the world? I mean, ask the mm. questions. And if it start fudging, then you really need to just leave. Yes. Go somewhere else. Yeah. Find a church that says the Word of God is our authority, that, that is inspired, infallible Word of God, that the Holy Spirit literally, uh, as my friend Tony Evans from the state says, when the Holy Spirit uh, when when the men were writing, the Holy Spirit jumped in the ink. <laughs> and so would you believe that it is inspired and fallible word. word of God? Yes. If not, you know, just go. There you go. You've heard it yeah, right it here. doesn't matter how friendly or how good the music is. Or how or big the congregation how is. How big the congregation In fact, it's, that's even more, more, more incumbent if the congregation is, is large and everybody else kind of... Mm. And we've seen now pastors falling all over the place because... Uh, uh, the people are there uh, following the popularity of the pastor and not the popularity of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend Jim Simbler from New York, uh, Tabernacle, said, um, he said, Sunday morning attendance is an indication of the popularity of the pastor. Wow. Wednesday night prayer meeting is the, pop is the popularity of Jesus, not yes. the pastor. Yeah. And I think that's a, said it all. You've given us a parameter right. by which we can decide whether or not this church is offering the right food for me, right. the truth, yeah. you know, rather than a plastic version of the truth sure. or a complete, you know, just nothing like the truth. Or so-called felt needs. Or felt needs. Yes, indeed. that's always a buzzword, yeah. felt needs. I'm thinking now about the, those pastors, mm. the ministers, uh, the vicars, yep. and I can remember hearing over the years of my time here sure. at Premier, uh, you know, how many are, are stressed. Yes. They don't have the support they need. Yep. They're internally combusting because of it. Yep. Um, and then I remember hearing uh, a pattern of there are many who don't believe in right. some of these truths that right. you've just shared with sure. us. 
you know, they don't believe the virgin birth is absolutely, literally true. Yep. Um, they don't believe in the infallibility of the full scripture. Right. Parts of it are for illustrative purposes. Of course. Why do you think that the church leaders are in a position where they are? Is it because they are themselves um, ill-equipped? Yes. You know, they go to theological school, mm -hmm. hopefully, of some sort. Yeah. They're under some sort of um, authority figure, right. um, accountability. Exactly. Or is it really that they are being swept away by popularity and, yeah. you know, the desire to have a big church as popular yeah. and it appeals to the masses? Right. What's gone wrong in that, for that person sure. who's in that position of leadership? It depends because we are not to judge motives. We don't know what the motives are. We don't, I never try to judge people's motives. I judge the fruit. I tell people I'm a fruit inspector. <laughs> <laughs> so you just look at the fruit. Now, some people are under authority. The Archbishop of York recently said to the clergy, mm -hmm. and this is documented, it's not a hearsay, that if you don't agree with the uh, marriage of homosexual couples, mm -hmm. Uh, same-sex marriage, so-called, uh, leave the church. I mean, that is just a very clear, yeah. you're not welcome here. Mm -hmm. The pastor has to make a decision. Uh, there are other independent churches where they build the church around their charisma, their personality, not around the Word of God. So wherever there, oh, there's varieties. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the motives are. It doesn't matter what the, uh, the, the reason for their... Uh, departure from the truth is what matters is are they in the truth? Right. Back to basics. Back to basics. Or are they not? That's really the bottom line. Doesn't matter how they got there. There's a church in uh, Texas recently, and I'm talking about very couple months ago, they called a young pastor. A young pastor comes in, sat with the elders after he'd been inducted in as the new pastor and he handed them a book of another, by another megachurch pastor, and he said, this book reflects my vision for this church, and I want you to read it, and we're going to discuss it. So the elders would go and read the book, but thank God the elders were so literate biblically. So the next meeting they had, and he thought when they were discussing the book, they fired him. Oh. <laughs> they said, okay, instant. They said, yeah, Absolutely. I love to see that happening all across the UK and the United States. I think this is a very unique situation, but I think it would be wonderful if the elders in the pews are more alert and are, uh, in, in fact, knowledgeable enough to realize that this person is, is coming here to, do, mm. to build the church not on, based on uh, the Word of God, but on a vision, so-called, to build, have a big mega church. And this is the way we're going to go. Now, I'm not saying that happens very often. It should happen more often than, than just this one incident that I happen to know one of the elders. And, um, and, and so those lay leaders in the church have responsibility. They're going to face Jesus one day. Lay leaders Absolutely. in any church, yeah. whether it be denominational church or a non-denominational church, they're going to have responsibility. They're going to face Jesus. I tell people, I said, I live... Uh, at 73 years old, I'm just barely beginning my ministry. <laughs> I tell people, I said, I live by what I call the audience of one. What am I going to say to him? And that's not only pastors, preachers, evangelists. 
but also lay leaders, elders, uh, deacons. They are going to face, they're going to have that audience of one. Yes. And the Lord is going to say, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you do something? When you saw the pastor Bearing heading the in left. the wrong direction, yes. why didn't you do something? Uh, and I think that's, that's just places the responsibility where it belongs. Not just on the pastor, because now he can wander, wander off and he may need somebody to kind yeah. of challenge him. Mm-hmm. And I think we all need to be challenged. Mm-hmm. I'm challenged all the time and I'm happy to receive it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, but lay leaders have responsibility. Pride seems to have fixed itself into our churches, doesn't oh, no it? question. When Jesus, you see, when the truth is out, everything else is in. Mm-hmm. Sinfulness, pride, uh, 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 image, all of these things that are just going to be a conformity to the culture. I mean, I don't want to, I want to please the culture. Under the guise of relevance, a lot of people now saying, well, you know, I believe this, but I don't want to preach it because it may stop people from coming. And I want them to keep coming. Keep coming to what? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you are, you going to be, are you going to surprise them with the truth then? Yes. <laughs> or yeah, not? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've seen... I've known a young evangelist, evangelical pastor. There's a big, mega, mega church. I've known him 35 years ago. It was on fire for Christ. And then as the church got bigger, he started softening, started softening, because he said, I want these sinners to come to hear the gospel. But they, then he watered the gospel down. And the sinners come. They're very happy with the watered-down gospel and never been... Uh, challenge to convert to Christ and to change their life mm. and lifestyle. And so now, literally 50% of his congregation are living in sin. Wow. And he said, well, I don't, I'm not going to judge. Them. But and God's going his, to judge you yeah. for, for leading him like that. It's, uh, he'll pay a hefty price for, for that, but the lay leaders also. in that church are going to pay a hefty price too mm. because they saw what's happening but they said, you know, they're coming. The vision is to have a church for sinners. Well, of course, it's a church for sinners. But sinners who acknowledge they're sinners. Mm-hmm. I tell my Jewish neighbor, I say, you know, because he said something about, you know, you're a man of the cloth. I said, I'm a sinner. And so are you. Yeah. I said, the difference between us is I confess that I'm a sinner. <laughs> and I confessed my sin and received forgiveness and eternal life. But you... Confess you're a sinner, but you know to acknowledge that you need a savior to de- deliver you from your sin. These are some very heavy, weighty messages yeah. that we're listening to today. Sure. And it reminds me, Doctor, of um, I have a best friend. Well, I've got a few, very small number of good sure. friends. But my very best friend isn't a believer, but I believe she'll come to the kingdom. Sure. But she's the one who will tell me the truth when I'm wrong. Yeah. And that's why I value her the most. Absolutely. She will never let me get away no. with, you know, uh, pretending, oh, but my narrative of my version of events is this. Because yes. we all embellish. And she knows me well enough to know, actually, Charmaine, yes. that's not true. And you need to go back to the God that you say you love yeah, and you ask go. for forgiveness. Wow. That's, that's why I know she's got, she's got a place in the kingdom. She must this, do. We'll get there. Get her there. A, a friend of mine in Singapore <laughs> called these pre-believers. Yes. <laughs> They're pre-believers. Teaching us a thing or two, right? They're enlightened, but they haven't got there yet. Yeah. So they, they all yeah. know way. <laughs> Absolutely. So we have, you know, we have the challenge of... Uh, leaders in our churches who either are afraid 
or um, have uh, in straight denial yeah. or don't even realize because they're not being held accountable right. that they are straying away from the truth of the gospel yeah. and therefore they are accountable for all of the people in their church that they're supposed to be leading. Yes, of course. What about for us who are, we just rock up to church on the Sunday or to yeah. the prayer meeting. Sure. And perhaps because of what we're being taught, yeah. we find ourselves veering a little further away yeah. ourselves. Sure. What would you say to us, to that person listening, um, about ignoring those little pangs yeah. that, you know, because we all get them. Yeah. God's always telling us. Well, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's going to convict you. That's right. I mean, Why do we and, not feel conviction anymore? Do we not understand that? Well, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's going to keep convicting you. Yeah. But if you keep overriding his voice, um, when I was six years old, my family built a house in Egypt. We were moved into another area from the older town to the newer side of town. My father built a nice house, but very close to a railway station, a railway uh, line. And so I, I remember clearly to this day, the first um, night, every time the train goes by, I jumped up, you know, six feet off my bed. And, and that happened second night, and the third night. And three weeks later, I realized that I'm sleeping straight through the noise of the same train, same schedule, same time because I have got used to it, and mm -hmm. therefore I drown the voice of that train. I can sleep like a baby. And so overriding the voice of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is going to put you in a very bad place. Now, also remember this. If you're a child of God, uh, you know, the Bible said that he disciplines whom he loves. Yes. And if you're a child of God whom God loves, then God is going to discipline you. He's mm -hmm. going to... I, I tell people, you know... If, if they really are children of the living God and they're wandering off, I said, he's going to drag you back kicking and screaming. But, and I remember praying for my kids when they were teenagers and they were kind of not sure, at least one or two of them. And I would say, Lord, I mean, as a father, uh, I know you're going to bring him in broken and, and bloodied all over the place, but <laughs> be gentle with him. And so they, you know, they, they thankfully responded to the Holy Spirit early and so if, if a child of God is overriding the voice of the Holy Spirit, eventually God is going to get them by the two by four. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's just basically, you know, what God does. Yes. You're his child and he is zealous. Uh, we are, you're a mom, I'm a dad, and, and we're, we're zealous for our children. Uh, just imagine God is more zealous for his children and therefore... He will speak softly and then louder and louder. Then eventually he's going to use whatever it takes to bring his child back. And so he's going to, you know, why wait until you get to that point? Come now. That's right. Turn now while the voice is still fresh in your mind. And so I'm not worried about, you know, those who belong to Christ because he's going to bring them one way or the other. But it is important for us not to shut the door on the voice of of, of our Lord when he speaks Absolutely. The Holy Spirit, yeah. I mean, you can drown his voice, you can, you can override his voice, but, but, but you, you cannot silence the voice. Mm. He's going to still speak. Yes. And eventually, he'll have to shout. Mm. And sometimes... Don't wait for that to happen. Don't wait for that to happen because sometimes that shouting is going to be very deafening. Yes, absolutely. And you find yourself on the floor 
you know, on all fours and say, well, why God, why are you doing this to me, God? God says, I've been trying to get your attention. What else do you want me to do? Do you feel inner conflict between truth and lies, the way of Christianity and the way of the world? If so, it's time to live no lies. With huge spiritual insight, New York Times bestseller John Mark Comer guides us into recognizing and resisting the lies that rob us of peace and freedom. Live No Lies, yours free when you take out an annual subscription to Premier Christianity magazine. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to this edition of The Profile, brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. I'm Charmaine Noble-McLean and I've been talking to Dr Michael Youssef. He's a well-known Bible teacher and author, having written 55 books and I'm sure there's another one on the way. In this section of our conversation, we'll hear how he was almost aborted, how he escaped Egypt, almost losing his life, and what he believes God is looking for from him. But first of all, most of us struggle with regularly finding time with God. And in part two of this conversation with Dr. Youssef, he shares his own struggle in this area and offers us some well-wanted wisdom on why time with God in worship is crucial for every believer. Well, one of, part of my testimony, and I have it in books, uh, is that I, was, I planted this church and it was growing fast. So I was running, running, running in the early days. I didn't have any pastors to help me, which I do now. I have a wonderful team of pastors. And so I was, uh, all of a sudden, uh, my prayer time got shorter, it's in the car. My study uh, uh, boiled down to just the passage of, that I'm preaching from and not spending time with God. And then I got hit with double pneumonia, where I just could not move for two weeks. Literally. And that was doctor, God striking you yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was a two by four, finally. Yeah. And um, a doctor friend of mine said, I need to put you in hospital. I said, no, I know what's happening. Just give me antibiotics. Eventually I'll recover. I know what God is doing. He's taking, getting my attention. Mm. And sure enough, it, it's happened. And I just poured my eyes, my heart and my eyes out to the Lord. And the Lord says, well, you cannot minister to people until you minister to me. And I'm speaking to all the pastors who are listening right now. And at that moment, I must admit, I've been in ministry for many years. I said, what does that mean? I minister to you, Lord. I mean, I was listening, talking to God. And, uh, and that's when my newest book is Empowered by Praise. And it comes out of all these crucible experiences. Mm -hmm. And by praising and worshiping me on an individual basis, not just when you go to church. Yes. Because we think praise is just a praise band and singing. No, praise, life of praise is an individual time daily spent with God in worshiping and praising mm. Him and studying His Word. And uh, would you believe it that this was 1991 and... To this day, I can sit here all these years. I can tell you, I probably made three or four different breakfast appointments in all these years, an emergency. Mm. And the reason I don't have breakfast appointments is because the first fruit of the day, that's what the Lord taught me back then, 91. 
that the first fruit of the day belongs to the Lord. And so I, and I don't use an alarm clock to wake up. The Lord wakes me up early and I spend time with him, praising and worshiping and then studying the scripture, going through the Bible each year. I go through the, the entire Bible uh, once a year. It's now 20, gosh, I used to say 24 years. Now it's almost uh, 29 years uh, of, of doing this. As I study the scriptures, I read the word it's of God. It's a bit like Jeremiah, I guess. Spend time with God in prayer and praise. Mm. And uh, and I found in those early days and to this day, because I've just finished my 55, 55th, 55th book, and I discovered, yes, that I have been accomplishing, and that was a very immediate, literally, back then. I'm accomplishing more in less in a day than I used to accomplish in a week. You know, God multiplied. We tell people to tithe money. Well, this is biblical. It's sound. It's great. It's wonderful. I do it even more than that. But how about tithing your hours, tithing your day to the ministering to the Lord in praise and worship and adoration and studying of his word? So that's what God taught me to do those many years ago. And I'm just thrilled that God is... Was, was gracious to me. There was only double pneumonia. It wasn't something more serious. I mean, double pneumonia is pretty serious, it actually, was. isn't and, it? And it put me to bed, and I have, you know, uh, put me to bed in, in two weeks, and normally um, I bounce back, and, mm. but that was not the case. God wanted me there until he got my attention. Yes. I'm sure so. someone listening will resonate with what you said, and yeah. I'm actually thrilled to hear you talk about God calling you to worship him to praise him to minister to him Um, literally heard the same thing said this weekend by a minister and now I'm hearing you say the same thing so I take that's confirmation that there is God desires of us to lend him our to give our time to him to worship him rightfully so he is above all but yet we find ourselves busy doing other things so if there's one thing that comes out of this conversation is that we tithe our time to him. Absolutely. Even though we are doing good. I mean, I was not doing anything, you know, that bad yeah, or illegal. busy doing good. I was busy serving. Mm. But God is a zealous God. Yes. He's a zealous God. And, and, and if he's given us 25, 24 hours a day as a gift, you know, what do we return? Mm. Uh, back to him. Not just serving. Serving him is one thing. Ministering to him is another. Mm. And I think that is something become vitally important. And I think it transformed my ministry. And I hate to think what it would be now, you know, 30 plus years uh, ago, if I was not obedient. Yes. If I just kept going. I don't know. I don't want to even contemplate what would have happened. Mm. So I'm so thankful to the Lord for his two by four. Sometimes it works. <laughs> In fact, I know it often works. Yes, yeah, yeah I, I hear that. But you've been giving us some really powerful messages, Dr. Yusuf, and I want to talk to you in a, a while about your vision for leading the way right. and your ministry sure. in the years ahead. But as you reflect back on your, gosh, 55 books, years of ministry, right. what is the thing that stands out most to you? I mean, you've talked about God falling you, you know, yes. pulling you by two by four. Right. What is the thing as you look ahead to the future, right. as you reflect back, 
what is the thing that stands out most to you in terms of what God's called you to do? I, I think that for, for me, it, there are different stages in my life. You know, in, in, number one, start with my, my, my birth. My mother nearly deported me. If it wasn't for the intervention of the pastor, um, I, I wouldn't have been born. Uh, then, throughout that time when I was rebelling because I didn't want to go to the ministry, my brothers were successful, I want to be successful like they are, I didn't want to go to the ministry because I felt that is, as for losers. That was basically my attitude as, uh, in my late teens. And so I wandered off, God brought me back, then supernaturally delivered me in the 60s, late 60s, from Egypt, escaped literally with the clothes on my back, and I would have been dead 48 hours later. And so I go back at all these milestones in my life. And then, of course, as I shared with you already, the pneumonia and, and the Lord wanting to minister to him, not, not minister to others, uh, b before I minister to others. And so all of these milestones is like stones of remembrance, as you see in the Old Testament. Yes. And I go back to all these uh, stones these in moments, my life of remembrance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I say, God did this, and God did this, and God did this. And therefore, the one who uh, did all of this, he's going to, you know, bring me up safely home. Mm. And uh, we we had a new member's lunch not long ago. We have one every, um, every two months. And the 15-year-old young lady said, well, how can I pray for you? I said, well, I'll answer that question the way I answer all uh, uh, everybody who asks a qu that question and has to pray that I finish strong. At, at 73, I'm now, you know, while I'm grateful to the Lord for the energy and health and everything else that he's given me, but I could go home tomorrow. It doesn't matter to me whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now. I just want to finish strong. I don't want to limp into heaven. I want to go running into heaven. <laughs> <laughs> With some serious trainers on. <laughs> That's right, exactly, yes. Yeah. What does strong mean? Let's, let's get be specific. What does finishing strong mean? Finishing strong, meaning finishing uh, on, on, at the very center of the truth of the Word of God and not fudging the truth or watering down the truth, but stay very strong on the truth of the Word of God and, and serving for as long as He uh, gives me energy to serve. And, and, and uh, I think that was the Apostle Paul's basically final, he said, now I fought the good fight. I mean, in the sense, he's finished strong. And, and now I'm going to get my, my crown. Mm. And so I, I want to fight the good fight all the way to the last breath. And whatever, whenever that may be. We hope to see you in that place. Uh, amen. When we meet again. Yes. Let's talk about your vision for 2025. Sure. Leading the way has grown exponentially yes. in um, all over the world, actually. Yep. I was surprised you mentioned to me earlier yeah. that Australia is your second largest territory. Absolutely. But, but there is a massive footprint yes. uh, through your ministry yeah. in the Middle East, which yep. has always been, a, I guess, central to yes. leading the way from the time I remember hearing sure. you talking about um, you preaching through the ministry leading the way, the program. Right. Right. Um, tell us about what the, the big plans are. I know that you've talked about a million believers right. by 2025. Sure. Talk to us about that vision. Back when I turned 70, which was in 2018, 
I you look was, good, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking time praying, and I really was saying, you know, to the Lord, all my colleagues who went to seminary with me, retired at 65, and I said, Lord, is this in the cards for me? He said, no. <laughs> so I said, well, I just turned 70. What do you have me do? And I spent a little time thinking about it. And as I sat down and shared with the team at Leading the Way, and one of my colleagues immediately jumped in and said, I can see it. It's seven, uh, seven uh, uh, prongs to the vision, seven years. Uh, 2025 will be seven years from the time I felt the Lord was giving me that vision. Uh, and that is to expand. We have a, a, a television station, 24-7, Kingdom Set, Malakot in Arabic. It expanded all over Europe, the Middle East, North Africa. And now we have a dedicated channel in Australia. Uh, an Arabic-speaking pastor from Sydney was telling me that every home he goes to visit in Australia, they have Kingdom Sat on all day long. And, and so expanding uh, Kingdom Sat uh, is one of the seven things. Uh, certainly uh, the books and, and then redoubling our, uh, our media uh, footprint, which mm -hmm. we've done in the United States. Actually, before we even get to the seven years, we we already accomplished so many of the things that God laid on our heart. I'm to go back and think of another vision. Yeah, push it a little further. Because we 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 already accomplished so many of these things, but we we the the, the most um, ambitious uh, part of the vision is to see a million people come to Christ in those seven years. And the way to accomplish this, and amazing how God, basically, because it's his vision, not mine. You know, most people say, well, God, here's our vision. Please bless it. I go to the Lord. I do this with all my pastors, you know, colleagues. We go to the Lord and say, give us your vision so we know that we're obeying it. That's right. not asking you to bless ours. And so, because it's his vision, we're finding that we're accomplishing all of the things that he already laid on our hearts back then. Um, a friend of mine from another part of the States called me one day. He said, look, time is now. We can't waste any more time. Uh, here's what I'm thinking. You know, I want to support you to, to do whatever God laid on your hearts. I said, okay, COVID just started. And I said, People stuck at home. And so we began to produce 30 seconds and 10, 60 second, they call them commercials, but evangelistic. That, you know, whatever the fear, worry, whatever the theme is, and we produced 25 of those. And we went on major television networks with those spots. And we have 150,000 people who visited this FindingTruePeace.com. Responding to the adverts. Responding to the adverts. That's fantastic. And uh, we're hoping to do it here. We're trying to find out if any of the channels will allow us to yes. have it in the UK. Yeah. As 150,000 people responded, we got a whole lot of retired pastors who said, hey, I want to help. I want to." Some retired pastors have said to me, said, well, I'm, a comp I'm leading more people to Christ on the phone the last 12 months. I did all my years in ministry. Because these people, thousands of them, coming mm -hmm. in and saying, yes, mm -hmm. this person, sometimes they don't know my name, you know, <laughs> this <laughs> man guy. on television, <laughs> yeah. that guy on television, what he said, that's exactly where I am. I want, and, and they may followed up 
by these many, many retired pastors who love to be in, uh, in ministry and, and serving that way. Uh, thousands have come to Christ already, prayed one-on-one -on -one with these pastors. To, others are being followed up. And so part of that vision of that million souls, whether it be through United, uh, the kingdom set, that's Malakot in Arabic, or through the commercials in the United States, and we're trying to see if we can put them in Australia and the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. People are responding. They're resonating, even though they're very short, but they sort of touches something yes. in a person's. Because we know that no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws them. So that's really our prayer, mm -hmm. that God would draw these people to himself. Why do you think there's an appetite um, at this time for... Why, why, why is it you think those thousands of people are responding? Yeah. Is, it, is it something in the midst of this pandemic that God is allowing I think people to be open? In talking to people, you know, all of science, all of the technology, all of them are military might. And a tiny, tiny, tiny little virus that nobody can see <laughs> except with a magnifying uh, microscope has really brought the world to its knees. And all of a sudden, people are wondering, you know, what's, uh, what, yeah. what's this all about? And I think that's the time when all of us who are in gospel ministry should come and say, yes, this is the time now to go out and reach people more than ever before. We know not everybody's going to be converted. Uh, Jesus said that. And, but at least we know that we can bring to the fold those who belong to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But so there's need. There's a desperate need. People are confused. People are uh, worried. People are concerned. They look at the changes that are happening in our culture and our society and saying, what's going to happen to my sons and my daughters and my grandchildren? And this is a time when we say there is a God in heaven. Uh, even though the world might be out of control, he's not out of control. Absolutely. It's not out of his control. Mm -hmm. And so this is a great opportunity mm -hmm. to, to bring the lost to the fall. Absolutely, and if we're willing to teach the truth, yes. we can show them that the that the truth of what is happening now is actually in the Bible. Exactly. We can see that Absolutely. there's also redemption yeah. in here. We have no new truth. It's, it's all the all truth there. is in the scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. Can we talk a little more about the work in the Middle East yeah. and the volume of uh, Muslims who are coming to faith yes. through the truth of yeah. God's word? Absolutely. Talk to us about how that's happening and why you think that's happening? There was a veteran missionary by the name of Samuel Zwema. Samuel Zwema was really the veteran missionary to the Muslim world. Big, big name, written many books. And uh, he said, uh, and he only led one man to Christ uh, <laughs> in all his years in Middle East, living in the Middle East. Uh, this is in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he and he said, just uh, almost felt helpless. And, and so everybody comes after that time saying, oh, it's hard, it's difficult, you can't bring Muslims to Christ. And, and sure enough, there wasn't. And, but then a movement started in the early 80s to pray, and they prayed this way. And it started in the Middle East, but this all the way to Indonesia now and elsewhere in the world. God, we cannot, they cannot come to churches. They cannot hear the gospel from pulpits. Will you show and reveal yourself to them in dreams and visions? This is a very dear friend of mine who went to be with the Lord now, mm. who began that movement, a wonderful man of God. Mm -hmm. 
and he himself lived long enough to baptize hundreds if not thousands of Muslims. So that prayer started and then it took off and people are praying. To this day, we have people who might watch us on Kingdom Sat or listen to us on the dual language radio. And they call and they said, you're talking about the one I saw in my dream last night. And so our follow-up teams all over the Arab world, they will call them and they take them and disciple them and train them and help them walk in there. I have never thought personally, this is my personal testimony, I never thought 30 years ago that we will see these massive numbers of Muslims. There are churches, whole churches, and we are planting one in Europe, actually very soon. We'll start planting churches just for the converts because the, the, the ethnic Christians in Europe and the eth- ethnic Christians, even in the Middle East, they don't know how to handle the converts. They don't know how... So all of the people who do the follow-up for us are converts. And so we, we're encouraging them to plan churches. So these people come and bring their questions and their needs uh, uh, that are unique mm. uh, to, to these churches. And uh, there are whole churches made up of Bob, what do you call them, the uh, Muslim background believers, MBBs. Muslim, Muslim background. background believers. Okay. Whole churches all over the Middle East and North Africa and now in Europe uh, because, you know, they, they needed the special training, special teaching, not the average ethnic Christian, whether it be Coptic or Maronite mm-hmm. or even Protestant. Uh, and so we, we're seeing this and we just shake our heads and say, praise God. That's Absolutely. The only, he's the one who did it. Absolutely. Fascinating to hear where the, um, the call for the dreams came from because I constantly hear yeah. about Muslims having these vivid dreams about yeah. Jesus yeah. and that's what, you know, connects them. started them. in 1982. That's fascinating. 1982. a small group of believers in the Middle East who started praying and fasting. And I think they two or three of them that I know have gone to, to glory, they, they'll be very surprised to see how that tiny little prayer uh, uh, meetings that they started. I, I was doing a crusade in Indonesia, right at the soccer stadium in Jakarta. And um, I met people who came to the Lord through dreams and visions. My goodness. And I said, well, it goes from Middle East to Jakarta, Indonesia, and yeah. everywhere else. Uh, so that that is the work of God. It's, it's incredible. God's, God's work. And when you partner with Him, yeah. it's something that looks so small. Look what can happen, as you said. Exactly. Exciting. And we're just kind of serving that community. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I want to um, ask you about. You talked about how these uh, Muslim background believers. Yeah. A new phrase I'm learning sure. now. And the difference between their experiences yes. and engagement with the church, or at least Christians, yes. versus those who are in the West, right. Europe, uh, yeah. in the UK, for example, sure. yeah. or even America. Yeah. My experience tells me that many, not all, but yeah. many, disregard Christianity because we just don't represent ourselves very well. Sure. We, we, we apparently, according to those I've spoken to, right. we stray left and right. Yeah. We yeah. say one thing, our book yeah. says one thing, but then we go and do something else exactly. and tell everybody it's okay. Right. What do we do about that? How do we? Is I there think, anything we can do about it? It was Mohandas Gandhi who said, you know, uh, when I study about Christ, I want to become a follower of Christ. But when I see Christians, I don't want to be a Christian. And, <laughs> Terrible. And that, and that is, unfortunately and sadly, is the case. Mm. Um, 
in the early church, they saw the life of the believers and that attracted them to Christ and they saw their commitment, dedication for the risen Christ. But unfortunately, that's not the case here. But uh, the most important thing I would say in these situations is don't, don't look at me, look to Christ. Here's the one. And so many of the media programs now are focusing on Christ for the, in the Muslim world. Now, what Christ did, who Christ said he is, and, and why you should follow him. And we're not asking them to become Christians. In fact, we don't use that word. We don't say become Christian. We, we say follower of Christ, come to Christ. Right. Because get out, we get out of the we're way. Giving, yeah, we're giving them Christian, Christ bad name. Mm. Uh, so uh, it, that is the focus, is lifting up Christ. Mm. And when I started that channel back in 09, it was our first launch, God gave me the vision of 04, but it took me those many years to pray and seek the mind of God. And even my colleagues who were helping get this thing started came to me six months before we launched and said, you need to forget about this. This is huge. We can't even, you don't understand. I said, I do. I don't understand. But God said to do it, then he'll do it. And I said something to the man who is now with me. I mean, he's been with me all these years. And he comes back every now and again. I said, remember you said that to me? I said, in, in November of 08, I said to him, I said, we're going to be such Christ-centered television station that people will be knocking on our doors to put their programs on. And sure enough, we started with few, Colin Dye from England, a handful of Americans, but a lot of uh, Lebanese and Egyptian evangelists. Now we have 65 Arabic-speaking programmers on our channel. Wow. And we started with 40, four hours repeated six, six times, then we went to six hours, then we went to eight hours. Now we have 12 hours of fresh programming every day. That's fantastic. Repeated twice. So, I mean, God, God is... He's God, doing the work. Yeah, he's doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> and he's lonely looking for willing people. He's not looking for anybody to do anything because he does all the work. Mm. If you don't mind me saying, Dr. Youssef, just sitting down and spending this time with you, it feels that what you're doing is distilled to a very simple thing. Yeah. Follow Jesus. Absolutely. Preach Jesus. Yep and stay in him. Uplifting Jesus, yeah. It just seems so very simple. You yeah. mean, we could be talking yeah. about the state of this particular branch of the church. We right. could talk about, um, you know, the, the discussions about sexuality and sure. gender. Yeah. But actually, it all comes back down right. to... But all of that is Satan's agenda. Right. It's all of Satan's agenda to divert our attention from the truth. Mm. But Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, I draw all men to myself. I mean, I'm lifted. That's all you need to do, lift up Jesus. All the other stuff is a distraction from the truth, and they need to go by the wayside. I tell my congregation all the time, major on the majors, minor on the minors. Do not major on the minors. You major on the minors, you'll be in trouble because you're basically following Satan's agenda. That's his way of trying to distract us. And we, with God's grace, refuse to do that. You've been listening to The Profile with me, Charmaine Noble-McLean, and it's brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine, the monthly title which you can subscribe to by heading over to the website premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. <laughs>